Hey, Jim. Hey, Catherine. Uh, we're hoping to do something not as depressing today. You not said that fun. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are synonyms. Okay. Right. Not depressing. Fun. And fun. Fun in my world means not as depressing as other things. Okay. Less depressing. Right. Um, coronavirus fun is just something that is less bad than other things. Sure. Yeah. So we're gonna do um, a little coronavirus fun today. Which is what? Why don't you? Why don't you say? We're going to talk to my friend Maeve Higgins, who's a, a comedian and writer. She writes regularly for the New York Times. She knows a ton about immigration policy and happens to be an immigrant. And she has left the country, partly at my urging, even though I didn't want her to go. I asked you if she would talk to us, and you sent me a text message. Oh, yeah. So she says she likes the podcast, and she describes it as Catherine's always crying, and you're like, well, I can't help you. Ha ha ha. <laughs> can't wait to talk to her. Hi. Hi, Maeve. Hi, you guys. This is my first time using this mic. I don't know if it's working okay. You sound kind of far away. I'm just like, there's so many potential things that could go wrong because there's a lot of First of all, my dad is downstairs building something. There are cows at the back of the house and so many fucking birds at the front of the house. So (laughs) this is going to be a miracle if it works. Okay. Well, we'll just go with this, I think. As the person who does not know your relationship well, like when did this all start for you, Maeve? Um, Being friends with Jim. Yeah. When did that happen to you? Like, just, like, uh, when was the first time you realized, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's my friend. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what am I going to do? He looks, you know, he looks like a child and he thinks like a baby. And then and then he calls himself a doctor. It's, like, such an intriguing yeah, I'm combination. A I'm a doctor. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess Jim and I met at a party in our friend Jody's house years ago I think it was like in my first year of living in New York and you know when you're first in a place you're not too selective about your friends mm-hmm. so it was, yeah I definitely know about that yeah it was like well he's there and um yeah Jim and I have been friends for many years and I think he sees me as kind of a role model and mm-hmm. a hero I would <laughs> yeah. say that's accurate yeah okay so you were living in New York where you befriended Jim but you're yeah. not from New York I moved there Seven years ago in January, um, I'm, I'm Irish. So you were in New York being friends with Jim, yeah. being a role model to him. And yeah. then what happened? So then our mentoring relationship flipped a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone that knows Jim or even reads his writing will know he started to get worried about this, I would say, like ahead of most of the rest of us there. So um, I think probably him. And then there's like this kind of red-faced old Irish man who's the head of the WHO Emergency Council who was really frantic about this. He's been through a number of Ebola crises. And I heard him a few times and I thought, you know, he like he's such a serious person and he's taking this really seriously. <laughs> so it was, of course, it was in the back of my mind. But I think the um, the week of the... 13th and 14th of March 
the um, Irish government cancelled St. Patrick's Day. And when I heard that was cancelled, I thought it was like, you know, the bat signal in the sky, <laughs> like calling everybody. But it was like a shamrock in the sky. I don't know. And I thought, OK, this is like hardcore. It's coming to Ireland. It's coming to America. That the week of the 13th and 14th, I was going to a conference called the Border Security Expo. And it's in, in Texas. What was the story there that you were looking at? I was writing about the fact that uh, combined ICE and CBP have the biggest budget they've ever had this year and slated to get even bigger in 2021. Um, and the Border Expo is basically where they buy their weapons and um, all of their paraphernalia. Yeah, and um, I was just going to write about what I saw there, what was kind of the security trends and also how asylum seekers were being treated. And it was super, you know, everyone was shaking hands and hugging. It's like this kind of macho, irresponsible atmosphere. And I found out like later that same week was when the same department, like the Department of Homeland Security was, you know, in hazmat suits in New Rochelle testing. But then they were down in Texas, like nothing was wrong. Hmm. So that really shook me um so yeah. then i guess that weekend i came home talked to my you know a lot of my friends are expats and immigrants um and me and my other friend from ireland just decided to book a flight in case flights stopped which was a fear at the time um because a lot of countries were kind of saying come home now or you'll miss your chance we decided to go and i remember talking to you about it jim because once I left, I knew that I couldn't come back again because I don't have a green card. I'm not a citizen. So I'm barred from the country like that I live in. <laughs> so I was right is what you, you started to feel like I was right. <laughs> yeah. The whole time that's what was going through my head. Oh, <laughs> old, old baby face was right about something. This has got to be a first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think what it was like, it was, it was watching the Irish government's response and kind of, knowing how Ireland is, it's very tiny. Like we have, the Republic of Ireland has, I think, 5 million people. It's just much smaller, but as well, people are more spread out here, less urban. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the government here seemed to be responding. Just the signals they were sending out and the way they were talking about it seemed more responsible and more alert. So I think that was another reason that I came back. And it... The numbers that I've seen coming out of Ireland as opposed to, say, the UK adjacent are very reassuring that you seem to have made a, a good decision in terms of a safe place to be. That last numbers I saw, 365 people have died in Ireland of COVID-19 as opposed to 11,329 in the UK, which granted has a larger population, but still the, the rate of m mortality is noticeably lower there it's an interesting comparison certainly the british and irish media are at loggerheads at the moment because we're neighbors we share a land border we're both islands like there's a lot of similarities but yeah the uk has like 16 times more people than we do and it has more density um and everything but you know the, i mean i'm sure you saw famously boris johnson was you know, deliberately shaking hands with people and they were talking about a herd immunity policy at the start. 
whereas Ireland had put in like social distancing much like a week or two before Britain. So it's, it's it will take a while, I guess, for it all to play out to, to know <laughs> for sure. But yeah, at the moment, I think the Irish government have done a better job than the British government for sure. What was it like uh, quarantining at home after you traveled? Because you and I had talked about this. You didn't want to introduce risk to your parents, but you have more space there. You can actually quarantine safely within a home. Uh, luckily, because another Irish friend of mine um, took the same flight home. And actually, that flight was wild because we had masks on and we were so scared to like infect anybody in case we had it. And so we were wiping everything down and being really careful. And then all these drunk boxing fans got on the plane and they had they were mad because I guess their fight had been cancelled and they were so drunk and they were like laughing at us so much, like licking my ear, like bullying us. They for flicked your ear? Yes. <laughs> what is an ear flick? Is that like a classic form of intimidation? Yeah, like in third grade. Yeah, totally. Like on the school bus. But we were like on a plane leaving New York, possibly forever. I've never been flicked. <laughs> it's not it's like they it's like they can pretend it was by accident, if you know what I mean. It's like a real bully mm-hmm. thing of being like, Oh, you looked? Why did you look, loser? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um so anyway then um me and my friend we just got an Airbnb. It was in like a seaside town and there was lovely beaches and cliff walks and sunsets and it felt very strange being there and watching the coronavirus kind of engulfing New York. Yeah. But now you'll be glad to know I'm back home with my parents and I'm just living my 17-year-old nightmare life again. (laughs) (laughs) Can you describe it for us? So, Okay, so I live basically in front of my uncle's farm. So it's a lot of farmland. I live on an island off of Ireland. So it's also surrounded by the sea. And my parents are... um, you know, they grow tons of food. Yeah, it's. I'm very lucky. Look, there's so many crazy, like, opposite experiences that I'm having. For example, I'm watching Donald Trump, you know, really endangering people. And then I'm watching, you know, our Taoiseach, our prime minister here, Leo Varadkar, who, <laughs> like, he's literally a doctor and he actually has gone back to work as a doctor. <laughs> so there's tons of like really appalling opposites that that are hard to get my head around can you tell us a little bit more about what it's like to be back home now basically it feels that my life is on pause which i think is a pretty common reality now for a lot of us yeah where it's kind of like every you, you know i keep thinking okay i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna um get really fit I'm gonna get you know the highest ass in New York City or (laughs) okay I'm never I think that would be a tough competition by the way yeah oh my god I think you have real competition for them for real people out there have been working on that for years but I was like okay I'm gonna take this summer and watch my ass like it's all so pathetic you know I like we're the same people except now we're just stuck so I definitely appreciate like you know I was like appreciating my brain for giving me that relief of like imagining a new version of myself that will emerge kind of like triumphant but I think you know if I can just keep it together and if my loved ones you know keep safe and healthy then that would just be 
you know, that would be extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying this because I started at couch to 5k and you know how that's like you run for 90 seconds and then you walk for 90 seconds. And so I started that the first week in quarantine um, and immediately fell at the walking part. (laughs) 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 And I like, you know, ripped my leggings and like tore my knee open, smashed my phone. Like it was so dramatically telling me like, no, Maeve back to the couch for you um (laughs) i also tried running and first of all i don't have any running clothes so i just put on like the closest thing i had to it which is like Like blazer and heels i would i had jeggings on (laughs) um i put on jeggings and like these shoes that are too small that i've had for 15 years tennis (laughs) shoes they're kind of like modeled and disintegrating and i ran three blocks and it was a little bit downhill and I was like oh my god this feels amazing like (laughs) I am flying it feels so good to use my body and then I turned a corner and there was like a slight incline and I made it halfway up the block and I was like my lungs really hurt and I have to go home now Mm. (laughs) and then I haven't done it since so I'm with you wouldn't it be funny if like you and I went to the hospital because you were like my lungs (laughs) I was like my knee yeah I think my lesson is important. It's important not to push yourself right now. Hmm. Like this is the wrong time to be self-improving because you don't know how to do it right for me. I don't know how to self-improve safely. Oh. Jim, we can we can both hear the absolute disdain in your... <laughs> no, I mean, I've been training pretty hard. I, I'm supposed to do the, um, the uh, Berlin Marathon <laughs> in September, but... This is not, we've this is an n- unnecessary detour here. We should talk okay. about that right. another time. Um, All right. But so you've had this sort of idyllic uh, things have worked out really well for you. Um, but you're also you you write about this and and you've studied this issues of immigration you know around the world. Um, what is on your mind in terms of what uh, could have gone very wrong for someone in a similar situation of not being a U.S. citizen or finding themselves abroad in certain places at a time like this? I mean, I suppose, like, the story that I've been really paying attention to is um, oddly playing out in places like Saudi Arabia and the USA, which is these undocumented workers, for want of a better term, that now in Saudi Arabia have been totally abandoned by their employers. And in the U.S., uh, the stimulus package, the only like taxpayers it leaves out are ITIN payers. So that's immigrants without work authorization who work, who pay tax. They're not allowed to get the $1,200. They're not allowed to get unemployment insurance. And obviously so many of them don't have healthcare and are afraid to go about getting healthcare. There's been, there's a lot of cruelty in the US immigration system, but this one seems insane to me because you're saying 6 million people you're cutting them out of any protection. And I mean, you could make the argument, well, if some of us are sick, all of us are sick. Like the only way to defeat this virus is by taking care of the entire population. But I guess that argument didn't work and they've been left out. So I'm, it's, it's kind of shocking to me still. And if you, if you share a household with somebody who pays tax with an item, you don't get anything from the stimulus package. Huh. So, <laughs> it's cruel. And like I said, I think it could be 
it could be dangerous for everybody. Oh, it is. It's absolutely dangerous for everyone. But w- even in a situation of like infectious diseases, we uh, we have these biases wrapped up in there where it seems we are will- unwilling to understand. In cases like that, in prisons, in uh, homeless shelters, you can't just be like, we're going to let some people get it and other people won't get it. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, that, that comes back to we're not all equally at risk, right? Like we're already seeing that, you know, in New York, it's the neighborhoods like Queens with the highest immigrant population. It's, you know, people who work in industries with high exposure to it. They're often immigrants or they're black and brown people. So maybe the argument doesn't fully stand. I don't know. I think things like this, like things like undocumented workers being left out, that should be top of everyone's mind. But I would say that, you know, um, it's easy for me to say that. Like I said, I'm surrounded by cows and birds over here. (laughs) I have a lot of time to think. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I am curious. I mean, I'm curious if this has made you think differently. This is like flipped your perception of the U.S. in any way, or if it's changed how you feel about living here? Um, I No, this has always been like a struggle going on in my brain, which is I understand the brutality of America's history and present, but I love New York and I live there deliberately and I've met the best people there and it's so good for me creatively and I'm an ambitious person. And um, yeah, it's always kind of been like that, but I think the same as lots of us now, I think this, you know, as a crisis does, like it kind of just shatters all these windows in this mansion and you can see very clearly into every corner um, and you can see what the walls are made of and it's just really impossible not to face it head on. So that is something I'm thinking about more than I already was, yeah. Do you think, say, you know, this is going to go on a long time, but say nine months from now, are you going to come back? Oh, yeah, she's coming back. And under what circumstances? Um, I think nothing less than a proposal of marriage from Jared. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, I feel like my life is there, but I'm also kind of aware that like stuff like this actually happens to a lot of people. Things happen that are out of your control and you cannot decide what your life is going to be like. So I'm trying to understand that too, or like accept that too, because I think, you know, planning and um, deciding how it's going to be, I'm just fooling myself. So for now, I'm just kind of taking it day by day, even though I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. How do you do it? Um, Like, do you have any advice, tips on taking it day by day? Yeah, I sleep in as late as I can. Yeah. then it's like a shorter day and making sure that I take my anxiety medication and I'm going outside every day. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just doing those things, even though I literally hate being outside so much. All mm-hmm. I want to do since I was a tiny child is just like read or now be on my phone. <laughs> and so, I mean, there I, are words on the phone. It is reading. Yeah, it's reading. Yeah. Thank you. Um, But yeah, I think making yourself do those things, it's kind of like being in a, well, this is like not something I've thought through. Um, Perfect. This is how we usually do the podcast. (laughs) But like, to me, it feels like being in a depressive state, which happens to me from time to time where 
you just have to be like, oh, I see. I'm not really feeling anything. And I can only see things through this like terrible window. So I know what I need to do. I need to put my shoes on. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, I need to put my <laughs> right. shoes on. Then right. I need to re- reply to this email. Okay, I'm going to do that. So, but you might have a different thing. I don't, I don't know really. But yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, maybe that's like one way to get through it. Sleep late. Acknowledge that this is very similar to depression, if not the same thing. And use your techniques that you use for that. Yeah. I think the depression comparison is very apt because a lot of the root of people feeling depressed is a sort of hopelessness or uncertainty of what is to look forward to. And yeah. right now when no one can tell you exactly when you can look forward to anything, I might not get to run this marathon in September. I don't know. I don't have concrete things that I can guarantee are going to happen mm-hmm. in the near term or even semi-far term. Then, yeah, that's similar in a lot of ways to depression. You just have to keep going through these motions and trusting that one day the thing you're looking forward to will happen again. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to yeah. go for walks and um, and just get real close to people, you know, in the way we yeah. used to. Um, <laughs> we're going to be smelling people's hair left, right, and center. Flick all the ears you want. <laughs> thank you for all the time and insight. Of course. And I'm sending you all lots of love. And also, thanks for doing this podcast. I'm finding it really helpful, both of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. I, Jim mentioned that, um, that you think I cry a lot. Well, no. Well, what I said was, <laughs> what happens is you do cry, but but the thing that gets me is his reaction, which is, "I can't help you now." Yeah, uh, he's not helpful at all. He's not helpful. Um, which like, is much- it's almost like he's he wants me to cry. You know, well, it's kind of messed up. <laughs> I don't want anybody to cry. You have you you have a great dynamic, and I think you balance out each other perfectly. Um, and I'm glad that this this podcast exists, and I hope. When this is over, you'll stop doing it. It'll be weird if we keep being like the pandemic. Is <laughs> Remember that time? <laughs> we can't leave home and like, yeah, guys, you can leave home. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words, Maeve. We really appreciate it. And All right. So Thank glad you, to chat Maeve. with you. Bye. Let's love. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Let me do the credits real quick. This show was produced today by Alvin Mellis with help from Anna Waters and Jacqueline Landry. If you want to support our journalism here, the best way to do that is with a subscription, and you can do that at theatlantic.com slash support us. Was that, was, was that good? Was that fun? Are your spirits uplifted? Oh, I always enjoy talking to me. Yeah. Did, 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 for you? Yes? Yeah. No, totally. Okay. We should only talk to Maeve, I, I know. think, from now on. I know. Um, well, she's Probably. a professional podcaster. She has done, like, many great podcasts, so... Um, maybe we should talk to professional pe- people who do this professionally. Yeah, we should. Yeah, not like you know me or anything. Um, no, I enjoy talking to you. Totally. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye. Bye.